1: So hey everybody, for the anti-democratic party here, uh, (laughs) this is Eric Mann on VoicesFromTheFrontLines.com and uh, this is for the show called VoicesFromTheFrontLines.com, I'm with Channing Martinez and we're going to talk about the struggle inside the anti-democratic party, not us, but them, Yes. Uh, but it's important, it's important, Uh, we're going to be talking about it a lot. Between now and 2020 and 2022 and throughout, it's complicated, right? I mean, for some of you on Voices listeners, you don't like the Democratic Party at all. You vote green or you vote anarchist or you don't vote, and I get that. Uh, In many ways, I'm with you, except we had a very bad experience with the Green Party that I'll tell you some other time, so no, I'm not voting green. And secondly, this election is very important, and we get that. In my view, building a united front to defeat Donald Trump is the critical thing as we get closer to the election, I'll focus more on the unity with the Democrats and the need to defeat Trump, whoever it is. But that's not my role right now. I'm independent of and to the left of the Democratic Party and I'm sure not gonna participate in a lot of their illusions, which they need to win an election. I don't need to help them win an election. They don't care what I think. I don't have a lot of influence. I don't have a lot of votes. But I am trying to build a movement independent of and to the left of the Democratic Party. So if you want that, you have to explain why you're independent of and to the left of the Democratic Party. What's wrong with them? Also, some great people are coming into the Democratic Party. So it gets complicated because, no, I'm not a big fan of Bernie Sanders, which we'll get to, but he's important. He's running for president, and he may... Uh, win the nomination. He may beat Donald Trump. Or he may run against Donald Trump, at which point I'll definitely support Bernie Sanders. I'm more, much more appreciative of Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar, and now Tulsi Gabbard, who I want to talk about, who I'm very impressed with. So if it's complicated, it's because life is complicated. Inside the Democratic Party right now is a tremendous struggle, and I want to explain a few things because we're gonna, Channing and I both listened to the full uh, four, six hours, whatever it was, of the Democratic Party uh, candidate's evenings. We both listened right. to it at least once and Channing just spent all today re-listening to a lot of pieces. So one of the things on Voices from the Front Lines is we're gonna listen to them speak more than us just commenting until they get to speak in their own voice, right? So in terms of good journalism, I'm not going to say what I think about Bernie until Bernie says something. And then I'll say I either like it or don't and explain it, not like it. I'll agree with it or not agree with it. Now, here's something that I'm doing a lot of work on. I've done a lot of work on for a long time, which is we live in a U.S. imperialist, white settler state, police state, and nuclear military state. That's where we live. We don't live in a wonderful country dominated by Wall Street. We don't live in a multiracial democracy. We live in a white settler state. If you think that, then you have to look at the election from that point of view, which is who's going to get elected of the U.S. imperialist, white settler state, police state, nuclear, military state. That would mean that if you're running for president of that, and I won't keep saying it, but I will keep saying it, then you have to say, if I'm elected, I plan to not help the white settler state but move in the direction of black and Latino people. I'm not gonna get rid of the white settler state, but I might acknowledge we live in one. I'm only, since I'm trying to get elected with white people, which I'll get to, I gotta be careful how I say that if I'm a Democrat, but you gotta say something to the world that indicates you know that. Now, there's another set of theories there. Do not say that said, do not Elizabeth, go- McGovern, do, uh, Elizabeth Warren, don't say that. Don't say that. Why? Because it's a white settler state. So don't say it because the white people are going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. So they have a problem. Do you hear what I'm trying to say? I'm acknowledging the Democratic Party has a problem. It's in a white settler state where the whites dominate the elections. It is not a new majority of blacks and Latinos. I'm going to go into more detail next week on all the electoral whiteness of the electoral college, the electoral whiteness of entire states where it doesn't matter what black people do when they vote, they're going to be a determined by white people, and most of those white people are going to go Republican. Right. So we've got to start there. Right. Then we got to start with the United States is at war with everybody right now. Any Democrat, you're going to listen to them saying to the Democrats, who's the bigger danger, China or Russia, we need somebody to say, they're not a danger. I do not feel danger with China. I do not feel danger with Russia. I do not want to go to war with Russia. I don't want to go to war with China. And guess what? There's a very important new de- development. Did you know that one of the Coach brothers, those Koch brothers, had, is it Koch brothers, and George Soros have formed a very important new development, two ruling class, Democrat-Republicans, to try to stop the perpetual war. I think this is the most important political development, which is if the Democratic Party is going to be saying, Social Security for all, but keep the Russians out of our elections, I don't care, I'll be honest with you, because you're going to support a war with Russia. If you say Social Security for all and even abortion for women, and then you say but we have to go to war with China because it's stealing our secrets. China is not stealing anything. You stole China for 300 years. Somebody has got to stand up and say, I'm for abortion, I'm for social security, and I do not want a war with China. I'm telling you that in the middle of the nuclear danger, in the middle of the ecological danger, anybody running for president who's going to war with anybody besides the US ruling class, to me is reactionary. I may have to vote for them, but I'm not to the day of the election, I'm going to condemn them. Because I'm not going to give a mandate to somebody running for office on if I'm elected, I'm going to go to war with Russia. Right. If I'm elected, I'm going to go to war with China. No. No, and I don't care how much social security you give me. I don't want it. So, I'm very serious about that and that's something I'm going to be doing and we're going to be doing throughout the show. So, when Tulsi Gabbard said I do not want a war with Iran, as we'll listen to. We'll make her first. Is that right? She got my vote right now. That's where I am. Of every single other question, it took guts because she said, I was in the war. I went to Iraq. That war was wrong. She's an anti-war candidate. Elizabeth uh, Warren is not right now. Bernie is not. Certainly uh, Kamala Harris is not. So I put that as the highest issue in the election so far, and if I was going to vote today, I'd vote for her on that ground. The second is, and I should know his name, what's his... Uh, Julian Castro. Tell us about him. I and don't. that's, that's uh, Jenny Martinez.
2: I don't remember much about him, but I know that he said a comment about decriminalizing deportation. And he, I think he's one of the first candidates that actually brought up deportation and, in a real serious way, because they obviously asked the question. But he's the first one that said that it needs to be decriminalized.
1: So listen to Bernie and listen to Elizabeth. Do they say decriminalization or do they say comprehensive immigration reform? Comprehensive immigration reform is a sham, and you should boo them off the stage when he, nobody should ever be able to say that again. What that means, it doesn't mean anything. First of all, it means I agree with building a wall. That's the first part. That's what Obama said. First, we have to build the wall. Not Trump said it first. Obama said, first we secure the border, then we deal with the the, uh, dreamers, and then we figure out a path to citizenship. Well, everybody agreed build the wall first, so Obama built the wall first, and that's no different, I'm sorry, from what Trump did. Now, I get their gradations. Their gradations in ideology, their gradations specifically... But remember, he was called, Obama was called a deporter-in-chief. And for eight years, Obama deported more people than George Bush before him. So if you want Kamala Harris to deport Mexicans, and if you feel better that a black person is going to deport Mexicans, then vote for her. Because apparently, if a black person deports Mexicans, some people feel not mm-hmm. too bad. But if that ugly... Uh, Bush, or that ugly Trump does it, we're all up in arms. But for eight years, people were begging Obama to stop the deportations, and he never did, even when he did the good thing for the Dreamers, and the Dreamers had to sit in his office to get it done. Right. So if you see where I'm coming from, when Julian Castro says, not comprehensive immigration, he's basically saying, tear down the wall. He's also saying, As close to open borders as he can say, because he's not saying open borders. He's saying, if you come across the border, I'm going to give you a civil ticket, basically. I'm not going to—it's not a crime. Well, if it's not a crime, that means you supposedly can't be shot. If it's not a crime, you don't need border agents. You don't need armed agents. So it's a big thing what he's doing. So in terms of—since you're going to hear, does Eric ever like anything a Democratic says? Well— Depends on what the Democrats say, so I want to start with Tulsi Gabbard, who said a good thing, and then Julian Ga- uh, Castro, who did a good thing, because those are two Democrats that I felt I would have voted for. Gabbard one, and uh, what, I'm sorry, Julian Castro. Julian Castro two, and I'll never forget it again. I'll just say Fidel, and then quickly switch to Julian Castro. <laughs> so uh, I, I get it now. All right, let's hear let's hear Tulsi Gabbard first. And then, uh, Ricky, we'll hold it, and I'll, I'll comment on that. And then we'll do Julian Castro a second.
3: Gabbard, a Congresswoman yeah. Gabbard, you've said,
4: you've said you, would, you would sign back onto the 2015 deal. Would you, would you insist, though, that it address Iran's support for Hezbollah?
5: Uh, let's deal with the situation where we are, where this president and his chicken-hawk cabinet have led us to the brink of war with Iran. I served in the war in Iraq, at the height of the war in 2005, a war that took over 4,000 of my brothers and sisters in uniform's lives. The American people need to understand that this war with Iran would be far more devastating, far more costly than anything that we ever saw in Iraq. It would take many more lives, it would exacerbate the refugee crisis, and it wouldn't be just contained within Iran. This would turn into a regional war. War. This is why it's so important that every one of us, every single American stand up and say no war with Iran. We need to get back into the Iran nuclear agreement and we need to negotiate how we can improve it. It was an imperfect deal. There are issues like their missile, develop- their missile development that needs to be addressed. We can do both simultaneously to prevent Iran from developing a nuclear weapon You're and preventing us from going to is war. time is up. Ahead,
4: a very quick follow-up, but what would your red line be that would, that for military action against Iran?
5: Look, obviously, if there was an attack against the American—our uh, troops, then there would have to be a response. But my point is, and it's important for us to recognize this, is Donald Trump and his cabinet, Mike Pompeo, John Bolton, and others, are creating a situation that just a spark would light off a war with Iran, which is incredibly dangerous. That's why we need to de-escalate tensions. Trump needs to get back into the Iran nuclear deal and swallow his pride. Put the American people first.
1: I'm kind of overwhelmed. I mean, I'm I'm going to send her money. I mean it. Uh, oh, not no, no, I, I mean, I'm not going to send her money. Um, I might send her money. I'm not allowed to send money to anybody on KPFK. So I just meant hypothetically I like her. But seriously, you, you, you don't understand the full guts of what she just said because they're trying to provoke her. Well, what about Hezbollah? What about this? Where is your red line? In other words, when will you go to war with Iran? That's the provocation. Right. She just said, I don't want a war with the right. I want to de-escalate. But the, the the host is trying to provoke her. Well, come on. So you got to go to war with the right. And what she's trying to say is the United States may lose that war. See, people in the United States are so used to thinking you just drop a bomb on people. You kill them. You win, you lose. You send your kid there. He dies it comes home. There's nobody saying the war is very dangerous. The whole region is up in arms. The Middle East is going to go up in arms. Russia is going to come in. China is going to come in. United States is going to come in. England, everybody's, all the proxies are going to come in. She's trying to warn you, don't play with war. So she said, no war with Iran. And right away, they said, all right, when would you have a war with Iran? All and right. she had to stop for a minute and say, well, obviously, you now here's Tulsi Gabbard, if I could give you advice. Don't say if they attacked our troops because... You should have said, if they attack the territorial boundaries of the United States, at least, what are our troops doing there? So, if our troops are in Iran and then you attack the troops, then first you invade and then you get an excuse for you you, you see. So, don't get trapped into that, in my opinion. But I'm trying to say, in terms of the urgency of the situation, to say no war with Iran. Listen to when the candidates are trying to say something very clear. And they're willing to take responsibility for it. It's critical we keep her in this race because so far she's the only serious anti-war candidate. Anything you want to say?
2: Uh, no, I agree that yeah. The I have a lot of comments on uh, Julian Castro. I think Tulsi Gabbard is great, and she's the only one that said no war. Um, and in every other case, you see that even you know Bernie said we needed a war. In China, with, against China. And he, I think I remember his words saying, China is a big threat, which is the same thing that Trump is saying. It's the same thing that Obama has said. It's the same thing that every president before, you know, has ever said. And So,
1: so listen to the word threat. Listen to any candidate, any Democratic Party candidate, who says China's a threat and Russia's a threat. Threat is going to lead you to war. She said de-escalate, de-escalate. You're always going to have fights with people. You de-escalate. so really Tulsi Gabbard, big props to you. Now let's listen to Julian Castro.
4: The reason that they're separating these little children from their families is that they're using Section 1325 of that act, which criminalizes coming across the border to incarcerate the, pre- the parents and then separate them. Some of us on this stage have called to end that section, to terminate it. Some, like Congressman O'Rourke, have not. And I wanna challenge all of the candidates In to fact. do that. I just think it's a mistake, <laughs> Bethel. I think it's a mistake. And I think that, that if you truly want to change the system, then we got to repeal that section. If not, Thank you. then it so might as we'll, well, well be the same policy. Well, let, let, me, let me respond question. to this very briefly. Since Actually, as right. a member of Congress, I helped to introduce legislation that would ensure that we don't criminalize those who are seeking asylum and refuge I'm in this country. If you're about, fleeing, if you're the fleeing desperation, asylum, then I'm I want to make about, sure I'm talking I about to everybody sure else. treated with respect. I'm still talking about everybody but, else. But you're looking at just one small part of this. I'm talking about a comprehensive rewrite of our immigration that's laws. That's not true. And if we do that, I that's don't think not, it's asking too much not for true. people I'm to follow about, our laws when I'm they come to I'm talking about millions of folks. A lot of folks that are coming are not seeking asylum. A lot of them are undocumented immigrants, right? And you said recently that the reason you didn't want to repeal Section 1325 was because uh, you were concerned about human trafficking and, and drug trafficking. But let me tell you what section 18 uh, title 18 of the US code title 21 and title 22 already cover human trafficking tra- tra- i think that you tra- should do your homework we're going to make sure, sure that there are no mistakes if you did your homework on is this issue you would know that we should repeal this
0: section this we is an
1: issue all right the first thing is O'Rourke is a white idiot and he should get out of the the, the thing <laughs> he's he's an absolute idiot uh julian Bur julian bert julian, Bur- G- uh, julian castro was let me explain what's going on here Julian Castro is saying he wants to decriminalize anyone who comes over the border. Then O'Rourke, who's both a liar and, you know, he said, well, I lost into—you know, only a white guy can say, since I lost for governor or every ran for Texas, since a white guy is a loser, I'll run for president. That's brilliant. You lost one election, so you can run for president. Right. Um, what Castro is saying— is when orc said, I introduce things to say that asylum, you don't understand. Asylum means that you have to prove you're a political prisoner inside El Salvador. You have to prove you're a political prisoner. You're fleeing specific political repression. Castro is saying, no, it's, it's not criminal to come across the border. And he said, you already have Title 18, 21, and 22 that deals with drugs, that deals with human trafficking, so don't hide behind that. That's exactly what Obama said. That's exactly what Trump said. I have to stop them because they're criminals. And Castro said, if they are specific criminals as they come across the border, you have laws in place already to prosecute them for the specific thing they did. But you can't prosecute them crossing the border. This is terrific, and he's give him credit. 1325. I didn't know about 1325. I didn't either. I didn't know about uh, pro, Title 1821 and 22. Ter- this is good stuff inside the Democratic Party. He says if you really want to stop the uh, the attacks on the Trojan, then you have to get rid of the fundamental law that criminalizes immigration. The
2: other thing I like is that he didn't really get involved in that whole uh you know, he didn't, he didn't respond directly to that whole, um, sorry, um, people who are fleeing genocide in their country. And I think that's an important thing because there's unspoken words there that the United States created that genocide. He's not saying, he cannot, absolutely cannot say that and then get elected because he would probably get thrown out of the election. But even just stopping short of that and saying everything... But that and sort of like implementing that, I think, is a very powerful thing as well.
1: It can be said. I don't agree with that. I mean, I think that he can say we have to look at U.S. policies in Central America as some of the causes. But the fundamental question is I don't have to justify the causes. Whatever is the reason, if a person crosses the border, it's not criminal. That's phenomenal. So I just want to—when we listen to Tulsi Gabbard, and now we listen to Julian Castro— Within the Democratic Party, these were to me the two cutting-edge conversations that got me excited, and so I would like, a, a, so far, a ticket—I mean it—of Tulsi Gabbard and Julian Castro. That would be great. I mean, if I mean, that really in that I'm great. taking it seriously, folks, you have to, at least for me, you got to follow the facts. It's like you might pref- prefer somebody; that's fine, and you listen to them. You go. Ugh. He didn't do as good as I thought, and she didn't do as good as I thought. This other person who I didn't think I liked as much, they hit the ball out of the park. So you got to follow your principles and follow your arguments. So I didn't start with any preferences, and not that many prejudices, really. I was really open-minded. And we're still going to go. Now we're going to go to Bernie and to Elizabeth. But I want to say right now, by far, these are the two most courageous and helpful people and I'm serious about the, not advocating, but I think it's critical that they be able to raise money to stay in the game. Because there's gonna be a set of um, narrowing, like in the next uh, candidates night, obviously certain people are gonna be, and should be, taken off the stage. But I'm very believed that they're gonna both stay on the stage, and they're both very, very important. And also, Channing and I are working on the Left Coast Forum and we got to start inviting these candidates there and talk to the candidates about talking to the movement. And we, we should definitely include Tulsi Gabbard and uh, Julian Castro in the invitation. Not that what well, they come in on is a different story, but that the movement should want to be able to hear them. All right, now what do you got now? What's up the... Uh, let's talk about abortion because that's a very important issue. <laughs> All I'm right. Sorry. Who do you got who do you have talking about abortion?
2: Well, uh, I have Bernie Sanders on Roe versus Wade.
1: Good. And and what do you have is Elizabeth Warren also on, the, on abortion? Yes, we do. We have Elizabeth Warren on abortion. All right. Why don't we do then Bernie Sanders first on Roe versus Wade and then we'll do Elizabeth Warren also on abortion.
5: I'd like to put a different question to you. Roe versus Wade has been the law of the land since 1973. Now that there is a conservative majority on the Supreme Court, several Republican-controlled states have passed laws to severely restrict or even ban abortion. One of those laws could very well make it to the Supreme Court during your presidency if you're elected president. What is your plan if Roe is struck down in the court while you're president?
6: Well, my plan is somebody who believes, for a start, that a woman's right to control her own body is a constitutional right that government and politicians should not infringe on that right. We will do everything we can to defend our Roe versus Wade. Second of all, let me make let me make let me make a promise here. You ask about litmus test. My litmus test is I will never appoint any nominate any justice to the Supreme Court unless that justice is 100 percent clear. He or she will defend Roe v Wade. Third of all, I do not believe in packing court we got a terrible 5-4 majority conservative court right now but i do believe that constitutionally we have the power to rotate judges to other courts and that brings in new blood into the supreme court and a majority i hope that will understand that a woman has the right to control her own body and that corporations Cannot run uh, the Senator, United I'm States gonna I'm going to give you ten additional. I'm going to
5: give you ten additional seconds because the question is, what if the court has already overturned Roe and Roe is gone? All of the things you just described would be to try to preserve Roe. If Roe is gone, what could you do as president we to preserve pass, abortion rights? Well,
6: first of all, let me tell you this it didn't come up here, but let's face this: Medicare for All guarantees every woman in this country the right to have an abortion if she wants it.
5: Thank you, Senator. And can I just address
2: this for a second? Um, I just have a clarifying question. Yeah, yeah. So when he says he can rotate any judge in the system, if they're talking about the the Supreme Court, that doesn't apply to the Supreme Court, right?
1: Well, let me tell you my first response to Bernie, including that this is very weak. I mean, this is pathetic. Oh, yeah. Because uh, I think that was Rachel Maddow asking him, but... He didn't answer the question. He should have been. These are serious questions. I mean, if they ask you, what are you going to do if Mitch McConnell has a majority in the Senate and he does this? You can't say, well, I'm going to take care of Mitch McConnell. He's asking a very specific question. If they overturn Roe versus Wade. So why did you start by telling us it's a constitutional right? Bernie, it's irrelevant what you think. If the Supreme Court votes 4-4 four four to overturn Roe versus Wade based on their interpretation of the Constitution, then there is no Roe versus Wade. You get that? Right. Secondly, come on. Oh, you, you have the right to uh, rotate people off the Supreme Court. Uh, what are you smoking? I, don't I mean, yes, it's maybe, maybe, maybe theoretically it's possible. Nobody in the United States is going to support rotating a judge off the Supreme Court because the president wants to rotate you off. It's been a lifetime appointment forever. I mean, Bernie Sanders couldn't rotate. Well, we're going to get into that. So that's ridiculous to, to waste people's time. You're talking about abortion as a real issue. The first thing is, is totally nonsensical. The second thing is never going to happen in a million Sundays. As you said, yeah. if he has some unique, it'll be overturned by the Supreme Court. Guess what? So Bernie knows that's what he's supposed to be talking about. Is presidential power in the absence of a mandate from the Supreme Court, what could you do? The fact that he hasn't thought about it, I haven't thought about it. But the first thing I'd say is, well, I fund every abortion clinic in the United States with an executive order, and then the Supreme Court would declare it illegal, and I'd have to go to jail with them. I don't know. I would go to abortion rights groups that are thinking about this 24-7, and say, what are we going to do if they overturn it? So the fact that he used all his time to not answer the question, right. I mean it. Right. If you're for Bernie and you're for abortion, I ask you, that was pathetic. That was absolutely pathetic in terms of his non-existent defense of women's rights. So I mean it, Bernie. That's a that's an F in all senses of the word. Uh, then he says Medicare guaranteed the right of all. <sighs> Yeah, let's look into that. Maybe that's true, but you don't have Medicare for All, and you're going to have to get it through the Congress, and you're going to have to get through the Senate. The answer is executive order if you ever get to president. Absolutely. And if you don't have a plan for an executive order to protect women's rights, but instead you're going to rotate the Supreme Court off, or you're going to pass Medicare for All, which will not get through the Senate, um, you're meaning that I don't have a clue. Why don't you just say that, Bernie? And I mean it for the Bernistas, and I'm not one. I'm just, I try to like this guy, but I, I don't. Um, you got to take seriously how bad that was and how anti-women that was to not have prepared. I'm going to go, you know, I'm certainly going to tonight write to every uh, abortion rights group and say, what is the right answer to that question?
2: Yeah, it seems like he has a problem naming anything other than Medicare for all. <laughs> and every single question that was thrown at him, it came back to Medicare for all, even if it wasn't related. If it was war, it came back to medical for all. Medicare for all, even after the whole, uh, what's it, Biden-Harris exchange yeah, exactly. on race, he, kept, he brought it back to Medicare for all. Exactly right. He did not say at all anything about women, at all anything about Latinos, at all anything about black people. It's as if they don't even exist.
1: And for most of the people in the Bernie Sanders campaign, they don't. And again, I'm asking you for people in the Bernie Sanders campaign. You just heard Tulsi Gabbard, and just heard Julian Castro, and you just heard Bernie Sanders. I hope you're embarrassed. I mean, I was. I mean, one more thing. I didn't know what he was going to say. I was hoping he said something good. Now let's come on, Elizabeth. Let's hear what you have to say, Elizabeth Warren.
4: Would you put limits on uh, any limits on abortion?
3: I would make certain that every woman has access to the full range of reproductive health care services, and that includes birth control, it includes abortion, it includes everything for a woman. And I want to add on that, it's not enough for us to expect the courts to protect us. 47 years ago, Roe v. Wade was decided, and we've all looked to the courts all that time, as state after state has undermined Roe, has put in exceptions, has come right up to the edge of taking away protection. Your time is up, Senator. We that's now it. have an America where most people support Roe v. Wade. We need to make that Senator federal Robert, law.
4: Thank you. Okay.
1: <laughs> all right, so there's two things she said that's very important. And again, I have to say night and day between Elizabeth Warren and Bernie. I mean, Bernie, I mean it. What what do you care what I think? Drop out of the race. I mean, it's that pathetic. She was at least trying to say that you keep saying Roe v.ersus Wade must be protected. And she's saying in every single state, they've already gone after Roe v.ersus Wade. They've done trimester, and they've done defunding, and they've done uh, you can't do this, and you can't do this. And again, I'm going to study more on the specific—I know there's been 10, 15 different cuts— on a woman's right to abortion, how early in the trimester and when can they have it? And when can't they have it? Funding issues. Uh, so what she's trying to say is, don't hinge everything on the courts. That's very important. What she said. Right. She didn't say she's gonna. Uh, I, I and I don't think it was right that they cut her off because it would have been very important what she had to say. So so in terms of my talking as I'm listening, I think Elizabeth Warren did a rea- said something interesting, said something important, and. What she's saying is I'm going to make it a federal law that that's important. That I would, which, which the reason why that's important is because the courts are often saying that, well, we ruled on Roe versus Wade. We have the right to overturn it. But there are certain things they cannot overturn. So if, a, if the federal government says that there's a law protecting abortion as, as opposed to the Supreme Court, it's going to be very hard for the Supreme Court to overturn that. Because this is a law made by the president, by by specifically by Congress. So these are things as I'm listening. I, I mean, I want to learn. So at least she's moving to say, the whole thing around the courts is wrong, and she also talked about how they've already cut the hell out of Roe versus Wade. So you know, want to give a grade uh, F for Bernie and at least B for uh, Elizabeth, who's moving in an interesting, important direction. Hope she, she tightens it up even more in the next time, as we all learn, and see what the, you know, l- look at, again, the specificity of um, Castro saying, you know, the specific thing about I would eliminate 1325, I would pass uh enforced title 1821 and 22. Let's see if we can get a similar specificity around abortion rights, okay? Uh, now, this is, the, I waited for this, this is a very important debate. Oh, I'm sorry, everybody. So listen, you are on KPFK, 90.7 FM in Los Angeles, 98.7 FM in Santa Barbara, streaming on the web at kpfk.org. You're in studio with Channing Martinez and Eric Mann. Uh, Ricky Herrera on the boards and, and helping us. Um, we've been getting very good responses, and we're going to write to you, promise, promise, Uh, By next Tuesday, when our next bulletin goes out, uh, we're going to thank all the people over the last month who have signed up on VoicesFromTheFrontLines.com. We're trying to build a social justice community, much more than Facebook and much more than uh, Twitter in the sense of we want Voices to be a place where there are actual struggles and things you can do. So when you get this monthly, the, the weekly email that Channing and I send out every, usually Tuesday morning, when we get our act together, which we almost are, it'll have the telling you what the show is going to be on Tuesday, and then it'll have the link to the last show, right? It'll also have the link to our podcast, which we think will be called Voices from the Frontlines. We don't know what it'll be called yet. Uh, And there'll be a podcast that I do, which is already, how do they, well, let me slow down. The show is already on a podcast. So tell us how, if you want to listen to Voices as a podcast, what do you do?
2: So Voices from the Front Lines is on every major popular podcast platform, including Apple Podcasts, um, SoundCloud, Google Play, and uh, one Stitcher? More. Stitcher, thank you. Yeah, I'm good at this stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also find it directly on our website at uh, voicesfromthefrontlines.com. And of course, you can always find it right after the show on KPFK's archive, kpfk.org.
1: So we're really working to make the show more accessible. If you like the show, like here's an example I know there are good people working inside the Bernie Sanders campaign, working in the Elizabeth Warren campaign, look, working on all of them. But I think we want to have a serious conversation about evaluating the candidates based on what they actually say and produce. So if you find this helpful, and we're going to do a lot of it, I mean, and I want to say more preference, we're going to let the stuff, I mean, if Bernie hits it out of the park, we'll say that's great. But that was pathetic on abortion. And I thought Elizabeth Warren was good on abortion. That's my opinion. More importantly, you can listen to it yourself because we're playing the actual clips. So if you disagree, you listen to the clips, but go on. Apple, go on KPFK.org, go on Voices from the Front and tell your friends, why don't we all sit down and listen to what Eric and Channing is saying? Uh, Bernie has a new idea. He's gonna rotate the Supreme Court. <laughs> yeah, what the hell is that about? That. Yeah, and you'll never hear it of it again, trust me. Uh, <laughs> that idea is his his advisors are saying, Bernie, what what what? Please, Bernie, don't rotate the Supreme Court. All right, now let me let me frame this conversation because I want to give you a cue as to what you're hearing. Kamala Harris is very smart. You have to remember she's a prosecutor. (laughs) And it's very important to remember this woman is a prosecutor. And we're going to play next week, Ricky, the most terrifying clip of Kamala Harris boasting about how she passed an executive order as attorney general in California to arrest parents whose kids were truant and boasting about how she terrified the heart of them, including mainly black parents. And the way she talks, she sounds like a megalomaniac, and she sounds like a dictator. It's the laugh of a dictator, and I'm serious. Uh, and, and it's on video, too. So we'll come back to that, but this is relevant to her ongoing. So she's way, way down the polls, <clears throat> and she knows she's got a, a moment to do it. So I'm going to give you a cue um, this time. <clears throat> Notice she starts out by saying, like they ask her a question, She's already planned to go after Biden, which is not the question. So she starts out by saying, I want to say, Senator Biden, you're not a racist. Well, that's like saying, of course, you are a racist. I'm, you know, well, well, what do you mean? If I'm not a racist, why'd you have to tell me I'm not a racist? And then she does a very important, actual, contentful struggle with Biden, which, is, which I'll explain later, is about the role of the 14th Amendment and the role of the federal government to enforce civil rights policy. What Joe Biden is saying is he does not support the right of the federal government, but rather supports the right of the city of Berkeley to do it, which is nothing more than what's called state's rights. Obviously, if the state of Mississippi wanted to integrate under the 14th Amendment, they didn't need a Civil Rights Act. They could have integrated any time they wanted to. Absolutely. They didn't even need a 14th Amendment to integrate. But they didn't, because it's a slave state. The reason we passed we passed, the 1964 Civil Rights Act, is because the 1865 and 1866 14th Amendment was not being enforced. So it took federal troops to go in and enforce that amendment, and then it took federal troops driven out for the Klan to go back and reestablish Jim Crow. It took the federal government to go back into the South in 1964-65 to say you must integrate the schools. And even then, they didn't integrate the schools. So she is trying to score points against Joe Biden correctly on terrible stuff he's done about not defending the 14th Amendment, not defending the Civil Rights Act, and not defending the federal government's right and obligation to force integration, because if it's a law, you force it, just like you forced a million black people into prison. So watch what she's doing, and then watch Joe. You know, there's all these pictures of how many feet can one person put in their mouth. He's only got two feet, but apparently he's got three or four feet in there already. So we're going to watch what he does. Now let's listen to Kamala Harris, and then let's listen to the brilliant Joe Biden uh, defending his civil rights (laughs) record.
7: The average American is woefully undereducated about the history of race in the United States. Uh, Ms. I Williamson, like thank you speak speak very much. President. Vice President, president Biden, Biden I'm gonna, as as we're going to get to election, you. Election, Hang on. We're going to get to you. About... I would Bye. like to speak I, I... on the issue of race. Senator Harris, <laughs> so what I will say is that If I could preface this, we will give you 30 seconds, and we're
5: going to come back to you on this again in just a moment. Go for 30 seconds. Okay.
7: So, on the issue of race, I, I... So so I, I, I couldn't could agree more that this is an issue that is still not being talked about truthfully and honestly. I, there is not a black man I know, be he a relative, a friend or a co-worker, who has not been the subject of some form of profiling or discrimination. Growing up, my sister and I had to deal with the neighbor who told us her parents couldn't play with us because, she, because we were black. And I will say also that, that in this campaign, we've also heard — and I'm going to now direct this at Vice President Biden. And it was not only that, but you also worked with them to oppose busing. And, you know, there was a little girl in California who was part of the second class to integrate her public schools, and she was bused to school every day. And that little girl was me. So I will tell you that on this subject, it cannot be an intellectual debate among Democrats. We have to take it seriously. We have to act swiftly. As general of California, I was very proud to put in place a, a requirement that all my special agents would wear body cameras and keep those cameras on.
5: Senator Harris, thank you. Vice President Biden, you have been invoked. We are going to give you a chance to respond. Vice President Biden.
3: Mischaracterized my position across the board. I did not praise racist. That is not true. Number one. Number two, if we want to have this campaign litigated on who supports civil rights and whether I did or not, I'm happy to do that. I was a public defender. I didn't become a prosecutor. I came out and I left a good law firm to become a public defender when in fact, when in fact when, in fact, my city was in flames because of the, the uh, assassination of Dr. King, number one. Not number two, as the U.S., as, excuse me, as the uh, uh, Vice President of the United States, I work with a man who, in fact, we worked very hard to see to it we dealt with these issues in a major, major way. The fact is that in terms of busing, The busing, I never — you would have been able to go to school the same exact way because it was a local decision made by your city council. That's fine. That's one of the things I argued for, that we should not be — we should be breaking down these lines. But so the bottom line here is, look.
7: That's why we need to pass the ERA. Because That's there are moments in history where states fail to preserve the civil rights of all people. Okay, I, 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 people I,
3: report, I have supported I the ERA from the very beginning when I ran the 30 seconds, because I want to bring other people into I have supported the ERA from the very beginning. I'm the guy that extended the Voting Rights Act for 25 years. We got to the place where we got 98 out of 98 votes in the United States Senate doing it. I have also argued very strongly that we, in fact, deal with the notion of Denying people access to the ballot box, I agree that everybody once they in fact anyway, my time's up. I'm sorry. Thank you, Vice President.
4: All of these things, have
2: Senator. To do- I mean, I could have sworn that that was Trump responding to Kamala Harris.
1: I've never heard an elected official say, "My time is up." You know you're losing. You know you're losing when you cut yourself off. That was pathetic. But I want listen. But the sad thing is. Most of the white people in the United States right now are pathetic. And most of the people who are in listening to this conversation don't even care about what the issue was. So let me restate it for you. What Kamala Harris was saying, leaving aside what she did before or what she'll do later, is the federal government must have the power to act if the states do not. And, of course, the states will not. The, the southern states will not integrate, and most of the northern states will not Mayor Garcetti will not fight for your civil rights. That's why we took the MTA to federal court. We took Richard Alatorre to federal court. We took Gloria Molina to federal court. We took Yvonne Brathwaite Burke to federal court because they were violating the civil rights of 400,000 bus riders in Los Angeles under 1964 Civil Rights Act under Title VI. A federal judge found them guilty of violating the Civil Rights Act. A federal judge overturned the city of Los Angeles. So when Joe Biden says, and I really worry, I am serious, I worry, who even cares about this? But when Joe Biden says, well, of course that was good because your civil right, your 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 city did it, but I didn't want the Department of Education. Do you understand that was the entire concept of the Civil Rights Act? that the Federal Department of Education is the one who is responsible for the equality of education in the United States. The Department of Labor is responsible for the Civil Rights Act under labor. The Department of Transportation is the one you have to sue to make sure that they enforce it. So when he says the Federal Department of Education should not order busing, That's exactly what Strom Thurmond said, that's exactly what the Southern crackers said, and that's what, uh, that's called states' rights, and yes, that's what Donald Trump says, that the federal government does not even have the right to enforce a federal civil rights law. In that conversation, I give her an A plus, and, and it's complicated because there's so many things wrong with Kamala Harris, in my opinion, but at that moment, she was that child going to school. At that moment, she was a black child. At that moment, she was a black prosecutor taking on Joe Biden. And he's an F minus, in my opinion. And that's an A plus. That's a knocking it out of the park. We'll get later into what she's done, very unfortunately, to distance herself from those remarks. But we're discussing this event. In this event, it couldn't have been better. Now, this is going to be very excruciating, except if you're just a Bernie person who doesn't care. Now let's listen to Bernie. And there's one thing I want you to listen to. In that debate, any candidate who wanted to speak on something before said, like they'll say to them, uh, this is Bernie Sanders on diversity.
4: Vice President,
0: All of these things have Senator to do- Sanders, yes.
4: Senator Sanders, I'm going to go to you on this. You said on the day you launched your campaign that voters should focus on what people stand for, not a candidate's race or age or sexual orientation. Many Democrats are very excited by the diversity of this field, on this stage and on last night's stage, and the perspective that diversity brings to this contest and to these issues. Are you telling Democratic voters that diversity shouldn't matter when they make this decision? No, absolutely not. Uh, Unlike the Republican
6: Party, we encourage diversity, we believe in diversity. That's what America is about. But in addition to diversity, in terms of having more women, more people from the LGBT community, we also have to do something else. And that is we have to ask ourselves a simple question. And that how come today the worker in the middle of our economy is making no more money than he or she made 45 years ago and that in the last 30 years, the top 1% has seen a $21 trillion increase in their wealth. We need a party that is diverse, but we need a party that has the guts to stand up to the powerful special interests who have so much power over the economic and political life of this country.
1: Hello. Did you understand what he just did?
2: Yeah. He,
6: that's, Go
1: ahead.
2: He changed the subject. Go. Okay. That's exactly what... I mean, can you just imagine someone is on the street getting shot right in front of you. They have just been shot, and someone asks you for your help, and you talk about Medicare for all. Someone's been shot, Bernie. What the... Sorry.
1: uh, What the the heck?
2: (laughs) What the heck? Uh, And it's, yeah, it's it's disgusting.
1: (laughs) But uh, we think it's disgusting, but do you? I mean, you just had a very important conversation with Joe Biden, who said, I'm running out of time. <laughs> and you had uh, a very important, heartfelt discussion of you know, the Birmingham bus boycott and the children who were blowing up in the church, in this case, these kids that had to integrate schools by being bused. You don't understand. You were bused into a hostile, white environment. It took guts for that little girl, Kamala Harris, to do that. Bernie doesn't even know what he's talking about. I mean, he says, GLPTQF. He can't <laughs> sure, even. What is that? What is Bernie? You don't even, I mean, it's, it's serious, folks. It's only funny, uh, it's funny how bad the Bernie supporters are, that they can listen to this and say, yeah, yeah, but, but. There's no but. You ask him about race, he said it's class. You ask them about race, he says it's class. He didn't choose to get involved. He didn't even understand the debate about the 14th Amendment, about the Civil Rights Act, about busing. Bernie lives in a white state. How many million people you think there are in Vermont? How many? Four, five, six, or seven. The answer, 650,000. Not even a million people. Bernie is a racist for taking his Senate seat in a state that doesn't have a million people in which the white population is 95%. That state has no right to exist. And the fact that he can't even pivot to say out of empathy to Kamala Harris, I'm so sorry, Joe, you're totally wrong. All you had to say was, Joe, the federal government has the right to enforce, has the right to enforce the Civil Rights Act. And Joe, you are wrong to oppose busing on behalf of the Department of Education. If I'm elected, I support the 14th Amendment and the Civil Rights Act and the right of the federal government, and I want to stand with Kamala Harris. The fact that he couldn't do that is terrifying to me, and I'm sorry. I mean, I may be an audience of one or two, but I'm going to just keep hitting If he just wants to do Medicare for all, I'll just do Bernie's got a, a white people's problem until I'm the only one who cares, So me and Channing will care. Yeah. But I'm serious. We we and I'm asking the people send an email to Eric Mann to Eric at Voices from the Front Lines. Our you know, it's funny, I get emails from Bernie people. You can't write, you can't, you're no good. Good, send it again. But somebody good send it, please. So Eric at Voices from the Front Lines, I'll read whatever you send. Is that a deal? Whatever you send, we'll read next week. Eric at Voices from the Front Lines, what do you think of this show? Uh so let's summarize, and then, Channing, you get a last couple of words, and we'll go out. Ricky, is there any signal you give me that I don't understand? There's nothing about the show that we have to do, right? Nope. Okay, I'm just saying. Last thought, Channing, and then we're going to say, say goodbye for a minute.
7: Uh,
2: I mean, if this is the hope that we have to take on Trump, then I, I don't I don't see the hope very much. Um, and I, I mean, I get what... Uh, not Elizabeth Warren. I'm sorry. Here, uh, what's her name? Um, Kamala Harris did to Biden. But then, you know, you're a black prosecutor, and you can say that you feel for black men all you want. But how many black men did you prosecute during your time? Um, I I do agree with you. Tulsi Gabbard and Julian Castro were, you know, some of the show winner winners, um, and all of them. You know except for those two short so fall short of internationalism they're all about the United States United States United States and no matter how far they go on race that is racist as a get-go because you're saying that you do not care about black people and other people of color outside of the United States and if they're going to war with the rest of the world who cares as long as you have Medicare for all that's racist and I wouldn't vote for any of them
1: <laughs> that's, that's Channing, and that's Eric. What we're trying to say is this. Look, we actually have a reason for this. Um, I think if the show has any little bit of influence, we are trying to be a genuine, militant voice that wants to take Democrats seriously. I do, at least. I want to take them seriously, but I also don't want to uh, become their apologists. On the, on the quotes we had, I thought Elizabeth Warren was good on abortion. We have to listen to more. I thought Tulsi Garan was great on Iran, and I thought Julian Castro was great, and I thought that uh, Kamala Harris was great on what she said. Each week, we're gonna listen to the debates, we're gonna try to give our grades for what we liked, and what Channing is saying is is really important, though. We're anti-imperialist and we're internationalists. Um, You can't be for civil rights, that's what Malcolm X said, you can't be for civil rights for black people inside the United States and not care about the nations of Asia, Africa, and Latin America, which Dr. King did, which everybody in SNCC did. I'm sorry you missed the revolution. It was very cool. It went on for a long time, and we are trying to make it again. To the degree this show can play a role is to go to the people in each candidate and say, are we fair? We played it. We let them speak, and then we're doing our own interpretation of their voices. This is fun. It takes work. It takes work. Check us out on Voices from the Frontlines. Uh, send an email in, and you reg- when you go on Voices from the Frontlines com. You click on it. How do you register? Do you just go up to register.
2: Yeah, you just put subscribe, and the form will pop up. Put in your name, your
1: email address, and that's it. And you get a free email every week from Channing Martinez, <laughs> a, a free one. Thank you, Liz. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Ricky, and thank you, uh, Nina Simone. Uh, We're very happy to have the show. We do want somebody in the Democratic Party besides AOC to be the best version, take on Trump and beat him. That's what we hope could happen. But until then, we're nobody's apologists. We'll call it like we see it. Hope you like it. We'll be back next Tuesday. We'll figure out what we're gonna do next Tuesday. Thanks to Ricky Herrera. Thanks to Chani Martinez for all the work. And thanks you in particular to uh, Tulsi Gabbard and Julian Castro for setting the edge of the conversation see you next week